Hello and welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. As always, I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can always find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. And we have a whole bunch of updates for you. But first, if you are one of those people who likes to listen to podcasts on your commute to and from work or school, or if you just don't like messy podcast apps and having to dig through and, and type in search terms or whatever, you can always just ask any smart device to play podcast locked on Vikings. It'll take you right to the most recent episode. You don't have to lift a finger. But enough about all that. Let's get to the updates So a whole bunch of movement has happened since the last time I recorded, which was early on on like Sunday afternoon. Uh, And of course, all of Monday, a whole bunch of things have happened and I want to get to them. Uh, The first thing I'm going to talk about is Nick Easton. He signed with the Saints like right after I finished recording and uploading and stuff uh, for the Monday episode. So I apologize for the outdated information in that one. I tried to avoid that when I can, but you know, sometimes plans get in the way and football news doesn't always exactly align with when you have time to talk about football news, but better late than never. So let's talk about Nick Easton and the contract that he signed with the Saints. For four years, $24 million at $6 million a year. Uh, the, the biggest impact that'll have on the Vikings, obviously, is that they get a comp pick in return, most likely. That's enough to net like a fourth or fifth rounder. That's not nothing, uh, but certainly not good enough to replace what the Vikings probably wanted to be as you know their starting guard. And it leaves the Vikings in like a, a dire straits of sorts. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of the like strip reporters and, and big time beat reporters were tweeting about how right now, as I record this, the Vikings have one guard under center and it's Danny Isadora who probably shouldn't be starting a uh, reasonable depth piece and whatever, but you know, you, you shouldn't be having him start. So the Vikings have a lot of work to do at the position. And I actually saw some people taking that point seriously. Like, well, why are they ignoring it? Are they really going to go? And, and it, like almost with the assumption that the Vikings are going to go into the season with literally only Dan- Danny Isadora and like whoever else they get an undrafted free agency. Uh, that's obviously not going to happen. They'll pick up a guy here. They have Josh Klein visiting. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. And the draft is still yet to come, and the Vikings have met almost exclusively with guards in the draft. They've been targeting a ton. They've even been using, like, local visits on on figuring out guards. I think even, you know, trying to decode, like, Rick Spielman's statements in the limited media access that we've had with him, it it really seems like their view of this offseason was that the draft was a better place to acquire guards than for free agency. And in the abstract, that's a different discussion than in like this year specifically where, all right, you know, I want to like look at, you know, Cody Ford or Jonah Williams, and we like those guys better than we liked, you know, Roger Saffold at a big price. I think that that's an opinion that has merit, a debate for another day, perhaps. But a real quick farewell to Nick Easton, who the Vikings did put in an offer on, and then the Saints came out. They had their, you know, Max Unger retired. I did talk about this on uh, yesterday's show, but it hadn't happened yet. I was just kind of predicting this. But essentially, to recap, Max Unger, the longtime center for the Saints, retired, leaving a gaping hole at the position. Nick Easton was, like, already in the building, uh, being interviewed and and 
talk to about potentially being depth or potentially playing at guard or whatever. And then suddenly this like huge hole opens up at center and the saints have the ability to open up the offer a little bit and say, Hey, do you want to be our starting center? And we'll pay you a little more. Vikings were just never going to be able to compete with that. They weren't going to be able to guarantee Nick East in a starting job. They weren't going to put him at center and they weren't going to pay him as much. I think all of those are reasons for Easton to say farewell to the Minnesota Vikings and go play for the saints and put the Vikings in a weird spot where they literally have nobody on the roster. But I want to just kind of rewind this offseason to when we talked about what needed to happen with the offensive line in the first place. And my, my whole thing, it's been consistent since the very end of the Week 17 game where the Vikings lost to the Bears, two starters and a backup. That's what the Vikings need to change at the offensive line. And right now, if they just fill out the group with two starters and an extra backup, then they have two starting guards and two backup guards, and that is a complete unit, and then whoever else you want to bring in for competition for training camp. So two starters and a backup still very much feasible, especially, you know, get a guy like Josh Klein who's coming into the building. We'll talk about him in depth later in the show as well. Get a guy in the draft, which it seems like the Vikings are very keen on doing, and maybe even double dip there or bring in, you know, a a lower-end guard, one of the, you know, kind of just a guy type replacement level players to be a backup, just two starters and a backup. And we're cooking with gas. That is definitely not outside the realm of possibility. There's still lots of names out there, even though they may not be the one that you had latched yourself to or that I had latched myself to. There's still plenty of quality names out there. And a lot of the guys out there, honestly, would be an improvement on Nick Easton or Tom Compton, uh, both of whom are, are now guaranteed to not be the Vikings starting guard. But before we get too deep into the other moving and shaking on the guard market that has been going down, I do want to talk about the thing the Vikings actually did. The news of the day, at least if you just looked at at their official press releases, is that the Vikings signed Amir Abdullah, who hung out on the roster for a few games last season as relief in the kick return game and a backup running back. Uh, He will now compete with Mike Hughes as a kick returner and compete with Cheryl's in that whole thing as a punt returner. We'll definitely be talking about that in training camp. We always do. And otherwise, you know, provide a little bit of relief for Dalvin Cook and take on some of the reps that would be more punishing, I would assume. You know, this is that's what Latavius Murray did last year when it's third and one and the play is pretty much decided before the running back actually gets the ball because it's really up to the blocking whether or not there's a yard of space or not. Uh, you know, give it to the guy, give it to the veteran and let him soak up all the hits and keep your, your actual weapon a little fresher. I really like Amir Abdullah as a pass catching back. I, I thought he was reasonable in Detroit as that, but as like a bell cow, he never really got it together. So, you know, just give him the, give him the reps that you don't want to give Dalvin Cook and keep Dalvin Cook fresh throughout the game so that you can use him as the weapon that he is. Or at least that appears to be the strategy in bringing back Amir Abdullah. None of the running backs the Vikings currently have under contract have four running backs under contract, and none of them are heavier than 210 pounds. So the Vikings don't have a bruiser like Latavius Murray was last year, or like a Jeremy Hill or whatever that kind of type. So they have a, a very light running back room, and that is yet more evidence of the running game strategy that the Vikings are really heavily committing to. It'll be interesting to see what kind of concepts they're practicing in training camp and what kind of concepts they employ when the season actually starts. It'll be something to watch for sure. But to do that, you need a complete offensive line, which the Vikings do not have right now. But there's been a lot of movement elsewhere with other players, things that haven't really gone into depth yet. So I'm going to step away to an ad break, and when I come back, it'll be basically all guards all the time for the rest of the show. So I will see you all in a minute. 
All right, welcome back. So before we get into the meat of the offensive line stuff, let's quickly touch on the non-offensive line news of the day, and that's Andrew Sandejo, longtime Viking safety, signing a one-year deal with the Philadelphia Eagles. It's a pretty good get for them, and uh, I, I already kind of interacted with Eagles Twitter a little bit, trying to give them a primer. But for the Vikings, obviously depends on the size of the contract. There could be some compensatory pick movement there. The Vikings also have some free agent signing to do of their own, so there's still a lot of shuffling going on. Not really worth going too deep into what it nets and what it means for the Vikings 2020 draft. But unlike Nick Easton, who the Vikings tried to sign and then were outbid for, the Vikings declined Andrew Sandejo's option. They let him hit the market freely and let him go to whoever he wanted to go to. Now, there is a way for the Eagles to actually get out of making that affect the compensatory pick formula. They could pay him a contract that would net a comp pick and go a certain amount of games in the season then actually cut him mid-season like the Cardinals did with Bradford. Um, I actually saw Andy Carlson tweet about that jokingly, and I thought about it, and I was like, actually, that'd be kind of a good idea, you know, give up the last six games or whatever from a guy who you probably weren't going to re-sign anyways, like, unless you were extending, planning to extend him, then it's different, but, like, if you weren't, give up the last six games and save yourself a sixth-round pick or something, it could be worth it. It's kind of food for thought of, a like, an abstract way to try to manipulate the compensatory pick formula. Sounds kind of like some Belichickian mastermind moves to me. Uh, I doubt that Howie Roseman would do something like that. The Eagles use three safeties very often, and they used a guy named Corey Graham a lot last year. That was a huge struggle. Anderson Dejo should immediately upgrade on that, and and I think they got themselves a, a pretty good player, and I haven't seen the price of that contract yet, and maybe we'll update you when that comes because it does actually affect the Vikings in a small way. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's a lot less expensive than the, what the Vikings were planning to pay him, which was, I believe, $5.5 million for the 2018 season. But otherwise, we've kind of already touched on the loss of Sendejo and what it means or doesn't mean, you know, with Anthony Harris and all that. So let's move on to a guy that I think everybody kind of thought the Vikings would just, like, settle for, and that's Tom Compton, who left to join the Jets on, I think it was a two-year deal. I couldn't actually find any details about the contract, so that could be wrong, but the point is... He goes to the Jets instead of the Vikings. He's probably a swing backup for them behind Brian Winters and Kalechi Assembly. And what I found really interesting is that Darren Wilson reported that the Vikings didn't put an offer in on him. And and I think that, you know, there was there's been a lot of unrest and frustration about the Vikings' perceived complacency on the offensive line. And and I think if if a lot of people's opinions of the front office rang true, that like, oh, they're just content at guard. They don't think guards are important, which how could you watch the 2018 season and think that and they think that and they're so dumb. And I think if they really did feel content with the guard play in 2018, they would have just re-signed Compton. And he would have started here and he would have taken that over being a backup in New York. But the Vikings didn't put an offer on him at, at all. And to me... That represents that, no, they're not just, like, content with this. They are interested in solving the guard problem and interested in getting better at the position. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean, like we've talked about in the past, that doesn't necessarily mean going out and signing the most expensive guy and throwing a bunch of money at the situation. You might be able to get guys who are close to as good or, or you know, just good enough to make your team function for a fraction of the price, and that might be a more efficient deal that allows you to, you know, make the rest of the roster, the important parts of the roster, better. But I think a lot of people were worried about, you know, the guard spots being Tom Compton on the right and Nick Easton on the left and that being that. 
And now it's pretty clear that that's not going to happen. We're going to have new names to get to know. Whether or not those new names are good enough, there's no guarantees, right? And whoever that person ends up being, I promise you, I will evaluate them plenty thoroughly because there'll be new faces that we have to familiarize ourselves with. But I was actually, was talking to some people on Twitter about Tom Compton right before this news broke, before I knew that he was going to go to a different team. And I always found Tom Compton's evaluation really interesting in the like general consensus of the fans, because I think a lot of people hadn't really heard of him when he first signed around this time last year. And people kind of thought, oh, well, he'll just be a camp body and maybe he'll make the team and whatever. And then he ends up starting. I don't think he was brought in to start. I think Nick Easton was supposed to be the starter and Compton was supposed to be kind of backup slash competition slash maybe push for that right guard job. But he ends up starting all the games that he's healthy for and people were like why are they starting this camp body at left guard and it's going so poorly and blah 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 so I I I always thought that was interesting and maybe I was mischaracterizing the fans maybe they just were like he's not good enough to start and I'm disappointed with that but I I also kind of thought maybe people thought he was just genuinely unrosterable and shouldn't make the team and I wanted to test that so I actually put out a twitter poll I'll link it in the show notes but I, I asked, all right, who would you rather have, Tom Compton or Cornelius Edison on the interior offensive line? And it was like 50-50, which I think is crazy because Cornelius Edison, I, I, there's some really funny clips of him trying to run block in the preseason. He was completely lost out there, like couldn't find a guy to get his hands on, let alone, you know, get his hands on him and stop him from getting somewhere. And, and I think the idea that Tom Compton is worse than Cornelius Edison is pretty funny to me like I, I don't think I think there's a pretty significant gap between those two players if if we're going to throw away our biases and actually evaluate those guys versus what we think of those guys you know if we, if we hold them up to the same expectation because remember we're, we're evaluating Tom Compton as a starter and Cornelius Edison as rosterable and the answers to those questions might be different when compared to each other but you kind of have to level the playing field when you're comparing those two players but it was really surprising to me to see just how many people actually thought Cornelius Edison was a better offensive lineman than Tom Compton. People genuinely didn't think he should be on an NFL roster, and I, I, my opinion differs really strongly from that. I guess it just goes to show you how how wide the range of opinions get, especially when it comes to guards and centers and like interior defensive linemen and linebackers and stuff. Guys that don't do the you know the fantasy football jobs that get a lot of attention, the evaluations really differ strongly. And I think with Compton, I think a lot of people, myself included, kind of made the mistake of of latching onto our initial evaluations of him. You know, I saw him as like a random journeyman as well that had been on five teams and maybe, and, and I think it took me a long time to realize, it took me like three or four games to realize that like, no, this guy can actually kind of play. And he got his butt kicked by Aaron Donald like everybody does, worse than everybody does. Uh, and, and he had a rough end of the season when he was dealing with a knee injury. And he was by no means good. If you go back to the offensive line review that I did at the end of the season, I, I basically said he is almost starting quality, but not quite starting quality. Uh, but he makes for a reasonable backup. I thought the Vikings could have brought him in to be a backup. But... Alas, the Vikings now have to replace him as a backup as well. But for whoever those people end up being, we'll have to make sure to set our standards properly and say, all right, what what measuring stick are we using here? Like for Danny Isadora, are we trying to say how good is he as a starter or are we trying to say how good is he as depth? Because the answers to those questions might be different. I think that's the lesson we can learn from Tom Compton. What measuring stick are we applying here? Take a guy like Aviant Collins, you know, are we trying to say, is he good enough to be a starter? Well, almost certainly not, right? We haven't seen very much from him. He's coming off an injury. Is he good enough to make the team? That's a much more interesting question when one will probably want to spend more time talking about just because it's the more interesting one. 
However, this podcast has been way too much doom and gloom and loss. Let's talk about the potential new guys, the exciting new names that are going to come protect Kirk Cousins and block for Dalvin Cook. There are some names linked to the Vikings, chiefly Josh Klein. I'm going to talk a whole bunch about him, but first I do have to go to the ad break, and when I come back, we'll we'll dive into the potential names that could be filling out the Vikings offensive line, or the guys that at least we'll take into the draft so that we're not 100% desperate and have nobody on the roster at all. See y'all in a minute. All right, welcome back. So we've talked a little bit in previous podcasts about Stefan Wisniewski. He's a guy that now is... Uh, He was visiting with the Jets, and he's kind of taking calls from other teams. The Jets signed Tom Compton, and I think that kind of fills the hole they were looking to fill with Wisniewski, which is the exact choice I think a lot of people were afraid of the Vikings making, so that's not the first time that the Jets have made a decision that a whole bunch of Vikings fans didn't want the Vikings to make. I'm not going to get too far into it. But now there's more and more buzz about this Josh Klein guy. He's coming into the facility for a visit. He's been talked to by other teams as well. He was the right guard for the Titans. For a whole bunch of years, he also played for the Patriots. He played at a reasonable level, and he kind of fell off last year. He had a couple of pretty bad games. He had a a nine-pressure outing against Houston. And overall, just like more ups and downs than we're kind of typically used to seeing from him in his career. And we don't pay a lot of attention to this guy. So again, first impressions, we should throw them out, right? Don't make the Tom Compton mistake. Throw out your first impressions. So in an effort to curb that very issue, I had a pretty negative first impression of Josh Klein because the first thing I saw was like, holy crap, he got his butt kicked by the interior of Houston. That's not even Clowney and Watt. That's like the other guys that are kicking his butt. And then I kind of thought to me, wait, you know, slow down. Look at the rest of his years. Okay, the rest of his years were pretty good. What happened here? Let's look at it. Why do the Vikings like him? And I ended up deciding, all right, I'm going to go find a game where he played very well and then see what that looks like. So I found a game where he was graded very positively by PFF that was week 17 against the Colts, their winning in game that they ended up losing. Uh, but he had a really good grade in that game. So I went and just watched through it to see what I, what I would find. And I saw a guy that could move around really, really fluidly. And of course, that should trip some alarms if you've been listening to this show for a while. You should know that that is something that the Vikings care about a ton. Can you move fluidly? Can you sift through space? Can you climb to the second level and get to a linebacker that would otherwise blow up the play? And in this game, of course, one of his better games, and of course he was very good at this, so I could see the Vikings like I put myself in the shoes of like Rick Dennison and Gary Kubiak and Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman watching that game and going, yeah, no, this guy does what we need him to do. And further, I saw the the plays where he was having the most success doing things that the Vikings very typically ask their players to do. Yesterday, I talked a lot about scheme fit and what the Vikings ask their players to do. For example, that move where they kind of shove a guy on their way to the second level. Uh, I, I forget the actual name of it. Somebody who has played more often than I have, please at me and let me know what that was. It's escaping right, me right now as I record this, but he had a, a very successful time doing that. He looked very comfortable, you know, giving a punch to the chest of a nose tackle and then climbing to go find a linebacker. He never had any trouble squaring up against that linebacker who was going to be a lot lighter and more agile than him. But when the lineman can, you know, match that guy step for step and get in front of him and get his hands on him, you know, if if you're that much bigger than the linebacker, he'll have an easy time getting around you. But if he fails to get around you and you get your hands on him, it's curtains. And Josh Klein did a very good job of getting his hands on the guy and being able to to create a situation where strength is all that matters now and he's going to outstrength every linebacker in the world, even the elite ones. And generally in run blocking, I just saw that every time they asked him to, to move to a spot, 
and there was a plan, you know, for him to go from here to there, even when he had a lot of distance to cover, that was never a problem. And that's a good tool when you're trying to design a run scheme, especially a zone run scheme, when you can have a guy line up at right guard, but end up anywhere on the field. It's a good tool. It allows you to be creative and, and create space with linemen who are otherwise like not going to be able to move guys from point A to point B on their sheer power alone. But then we got to pass blocking, and while in that game he had a very sound game pass blocking, he didn't really get beat too often, some traits showed up that are probably going to cause some issues later. And sure enough, as I am going through, I kind of took a break from watching this to record the show, but as I'm going through the Houston game where he got his butt handed to him, the same problem showed up, but Houston was just better at punishing him than Danico Autry primarily, but the Indianapolis defensive line just wasn't as good at punishing this, these issues, and Houston was, and that's why they were able to kick his butt. So it's definitely a concern. And specifically what those issues are, and I actually asked uh, Michael Peterson at Zone Tracks and Brandon Thorne at Brandon Thorne NFL, if you're interested in offensive line play, those guys are must-follows, like not even questionable. You have to follow those guys to, and, and honestly, throw your own opinions out and just steal theirs because they're really, really smart about this. But I asked them, you know, hey, I, I noticed this weird step that he takes. And essentially what I was noticing was not like a false step or, or something that's like wasted movement, but just kind of sloppy setup. Um, you know, when you're an offensive lineman, you have to set up a certain base and you kind of want to set up so that you're like squatting the defensive lineman, or, or you're kind of pushing up on him and getting into his chest and getting your hands inside, and there's like a way that you want to be set up so that you're ready to to field his attack and fend him off, uh, and, and he was just not in very good control, and he's in his like seventh year, so this isn't going to be something that you can like teach out of him. You're just going to kind of have to deal with it when that makes him lose, and, and I think that's part of what led to that, like, crater game. Um, I'm probably going to do a, a little bit more work on this on Twitter, by the way, to, like, clarify these points a little bit more, so go check out at LukeBronNFL. Um, I'll try, if I remember, I'll try to retweet them from the Locked On Vikings account as well, but basically it means it's, like, a lot harder to set up, and it takes him longer to, like, get into that position. He kind of, he swings his hips out too wide, or he steps too far to the outside, and then he can get beat inside, and that kind of happened a little bit. I basically did a cut-up of of this problem, uh, and I'll link it in the show notes, of course, where it was like one series at the end of the half in that week 17 game, it's supposed to be his good game, where he kind of has that same problem and his whole body is just chaotic. And this really comes to a head with his hands. And both Brandon Thorne and Michael Peterson pointed this out as an issue, which should be a big flag to you, uh, that his hands were really, really wild. It looks like, you know, like he's swatting a bug. And that can get you in a lot of trouble because if your hands are very wild, it can be very easy for the defender to swat your hands away. And once you, you your hands get swatted away, your chest is just open and they can get their hands on you however they want and push you backwards. You can't push back because your hands got swatted out of the way. And sure enough, we've seen against better defensive linemen than like Danico Autry, guys get his hands swatted out of the way, get it, get up into him and push him back and suddenly that's a pressure. Now, a lot of these problems are easier to deal with than what would happen with, say, I always bring this up as my example, but with, remember, TJ Clemmings. He had a problem with lunging, and it was like the worst problem a tackle can have, where he would like lunge at the defensive lineman, defensive lineman just kind of had to move his body a little bit, make it so that his lunge missed, and now you're like past the guy. So forget technique and everything, you just have a free shot to the quarterback, it's like the worst it could have been. With a lot of these problems, especially on the interior, like if he steps too far to the outside 
and then leaves a bunch of room for a defensive lineman to rush inside and get a good angle on him, well, the center's right there to pick it up. And that means that that's not going to lead to pressure as often as it would if it were a different issue. That doesn't mean that the issue is any less alarming or, or that it doesn't need to be fixed or anything like that, but it's one of those things that contributes to the idea that I've been talking about all the time, that, like, exterior linemen should be, you know, and, and the teams pay tackles way more than they pay guards. Well, there's a reason for that. And the reason, a lot of that reason is rooted in the fact that when a guard gets beat, you know, if they get beat inside, they just run into the center, and it doesn't actually create a pressure or affect the play. So bad technique can be a little bit more forgivable. Again, not an excuse or a reason to, like, only go cheap or anything like that. I, I know that that's not something that's going to resonate with a lot of people. But when we're breaking down technique with a guy like Josh Klein, like this specifically, it does bear mentioning that, like, if he steps too far to the outside, gets beat inside, and then the center picks him up, we don't really have to care about that. So all of this goes to say that Josh Klein, I don't think he's going to be the best offensive line on the team. I don't think that he's going to change the face of the offense or anything, but I also don't think he's going to be the problem, and maybe that's enough. Maybe that's all the Vikings need to field a, a more reasonable offense in 2019, you know, get Kirk going, get Diggs and Thielen going. You just need a guard that is not the problem, a guy that you can't point at, point to after a loss and say it was his fault. So hopefully... Josh Klein provides that if the Vikings do end up signing him. We'll monitor that situation throughout the week. The, the rumor that I have right now as I record this is that he is visiting sometime this week and that he's taken offers and, and fielded meetings with other teams and he's figuring out his schedule and stuff. So we'll see where around the country he flies to. If he even makes it to Minnesota, sometimes they go to their first stop. That, guy blow, that team blows him away and he doesn't even go to his other stops. Uh, that happened, I believe, with Kirk Cousins, if I remember right. But we'll we'll monitor that situation and Wisniewski and all of that other stuff. We'll talk about draft prospects here soon, just as soon as we don't have a whole bunch of offensive line, line news to talk about. I did want to get to all of the things, especially the stuff I missed on yesterday's episode. But that is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, you can find me on Twitter at NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. Check that out because I'm going to put like more Josh Klein stuff because, I don't know, something tells me that he actually is going to be the right guard for the Vikings and that we're going to care a lot about how good he was in Tennessee, but we'll have a whole bunch of time to really talk about it in even more depth if the Vikings do sign him. So I am going to sign off for the day. Thank you all so much for listening. And as always, Skull!